much. Hey, I want us to uh, pray, if you would. We welcome you, King Jesus, today because we believe you are risen. We want to thank you for the gift of life and community and hope. And I ask, Lord, that you, Jesus, would make these moments defining for each person. I simply want to pray for someone or those here who may not even believe in you, but they're here. They may not believe that you exist, but they're here. But that they would begin to understand that you came for them, that doubts don't bother you. Whisper to their soul today who you are and that you are here for them. I thank you, Lord, for this community that's called Creekside. Pray your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're finishing up a series um, we've been in for the last month. It's called Fear, Fearless. And we've been looking at fears in our lives that can hold us back from really moving forward because that's one of the things that really causes trouble for a lot of people is they, they have these fears. So we've been looking at them. And today we want to look at probably what is the ultimate fear for a really high percentage of people. And, uh, and we want to kind of tie it into why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so important for us to understand it and ultimately to celebrate it. I want you to watch this video for a moment and just kind of imagine if you would have just heard into this. CNN. It's the moment many people in Hawaii found out about the inbound missile that turned out to be a false alarm. Now, this is how TV viewers in Hawaii learned of this false missile threat. This is just a recording. The U.S. Pacific Command has detected a missile threat to Hawaii. A missile may impact on land or sea within minutes. This is not a drill. If you are indoors, stay indoors. If you are outdoors, seek immediate shelter in a building. Remain indoors well away from windows. If you are driving, pull safely to the side of the road and seek shelter in a building or lay on the floor. We will announce when the threat has ended. This is not a drill. Take immediate action measures. Repeat. The U.S. Pacific Command has detected a missile threat to Hawaii. So can you imagine hearing this? This is during the Florida and Ole Miss college basketball game. It was on a local TV station in Hawaii. It was interrupted by that text and automated message saying a missile could impact within minutes. And this is not a drill over and over again. As we've reported, people in Hawaii didn't learn until 38 minutes later that this alert was a mistake and the all clear was finally given. That was January 13th, 2008, just a couple of months ago. Amazing if you were there. And I got to tell you, probably if, uh, if, if Trina and I would have been in the same room watching that, I probably would have muted it and said, quiet, honey, I want to watch the game. And, um, <laughs> you know, I would have kind of just, it would have blown right by me. And there's probably some people in Hawaii that had the same thing. But imagine those people in Hawaii on the island that lived there. Some of them, they had, you know, the, the history and the understanding of Pearl Harbor would have been very clear. And they would have thinking, man, are we going to experience Pearl Harbor too? I mean, think about it. All the problems, all the discussions, all of the, the talk back and forth between North Korea and Russia and the United States. And all of a sudden, that comes on. Imagine if you're visiting there as you're, you know, it's your vacation. And you're, you know, you're just, ah, let's just go to Hawaii, have a little leisurely time. And all of a sudden, you get this major warning. I mean, you're thinking, is this going to be World War III? Is this going to be Armageddon? What in the world is going to happen and what's going to take place? 38 minutes that people on that island didn't know that it, wasn't a, uh, uh, that it was simply a false warning. How would that affect you? What would you be thinking about? Now, sometimes we get so busy with the here and now that we, don't st that we won't stop to think about the then and there. Easter's all about the hope that we have in facing probably what the ultimate fear is for so many people, and that's death. Uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth in chapter 15. He's writing a polemic on the resurrection, and this is what he says in, in chapter 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. What swallows it up? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he asks this question, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? You no longer have power. I love that. I want to look at, there's a woman who can answer this question, where is your sting, death? She's headed out of a church and she's 
walking toward a cemetery. She has tear-stained cheeks. She's numb with sorrow. She's wearing black, and she's fragile, and she's unsteady as she walks. She's She's just vacantly staring ahead into the distance. Behind her is a large group of grieving friends, and just in front of her is a casket that's being carried by friends that cradles the body of her beloved son, her young son, her only son. She's already lost her husband. She has no family, and now she's lost her son. In this culture, that means there was nobody to assist and to take care of her. So not only has she lost those closest to her, but now she's wondering about her future. As she's walking, she needs just an ounce more of faith than the pain and the doubt that she's carrying just to simply keep going in her life and just make it to the cemetery for the burial of her son. Suddenly, everyone and everything stops. There's this strong man with a tender face who shows up, and he's got this ragtag entourage behind him. And he steps toward the coffin, and he does the unthinkable. He places his hand on it. (laughs) The pallbearers stop. Everyone stops. They're unsure of what to do next because, well, this stranger seems confidently compassionate and caring, but he's unfamiliar to all of them because, well, he wasn't at the funeral. (laughs) What's he doing? I mean, we've heard of wedding crashers, but we haven't seen many funeral crashers. And all of a sudden, this man, he walks his eyes with this woman. She has no idea what he's doing. But his heart is so moved for her and the pain that she's going, he simply looks at her and he says, don't cry. Now imagine her. And she's thinking, don't cry. Do you know what I'm going through right now? This is my son, my only son. I'm coming out of a funeral. Uh, But she's too weak to articulate these thoughts. And before even as she could get the word out, Uh, This man of compassion turns away and places his hand back on the coffin again. And he speaks in this clear tone. And he simply says, young man, I say, get up. (laughs) People are murmuring. The pallbearers and their friends, they're flabbergasted. They're unsure of what to do. And then all of a sudden, there's this movement within the casket, the coffin. And they set down the coffin. Just in time, because the astonishing and the unthinkable is now taking place. It's almost like it's in slow motion, delayed time. Their friend slowly, methodically opens the top and he emerges. And he stirs up and he begins to talk. And Jesus is there and he says, Mama, your son. He says to the son, son. Your mama. Sound like something straight from Friday night fright movie? No, this is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. What gets your intention about this story? <laughs> well, I think I know what it is. Uh, you, got a dead, you got a dead boy who rises out of a coffin and he begins talking. That'll get your attention quick. Dead people don't talk. Dead people don't move. Dead people don't come back from the grave. Uh, But this boy does. You know why? Because Jesus shows up. Jarius has an answer to the question, where is thy sting? He's heartbroken and he's pleading. He's asking the healer to come. Would you heal my sick daughter? And as he's talking to the healer, these messengers show up to say, we're sorry, your daughter has just died. And as he bows his head, he just begins to walk away from the healer. And he walks home. By the time he gets there, the mourners are already there. And the mourning has begun, the shouts, the cries over the daughter. But a short time later, the healer shows up. But the people are just thinking, the father is just thinking, oh, he's just coming to give some kind words of encouragement, maybe to say a little prayer over the family and to bless and to help him in their time of need over their daughter. But no, this is Jesus, the healer. Jesus comes and he has some words to the gathered crowd. And he says this, don't cry. And they look around and they go, she's dead. 
They declare, we know she's dead. What do you mean don't cry? Don't cry. And then he has some other words. Oh, they're not about the girl, but they're death-defeating, life-giving words to the girl. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. When all knew she was dead, he looks at her, he walks over to her, and he says, my child, get up. And all of a sudden, she gets up. <laughs> the people are shocked. The parents are ecstatic. This is an incredible thing that Jesus does. In a short time, she's breathing again. She's up in Adam, and she's this young girl. And now she's eating a meal. And the morning has stopped, and the celebration has begun. Martha understands the no sting of death. Now, she's a good friend of Jesus. Jesus is a good friend of the family, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But Lazarus is sick. And so there's communication that goes from, from Martha to Jesus to say, Jesus, show up, or your friend, my brother's going to die. And they're expecting him to come because of that relationship. But Jesus doesn't come. It's too late. Lazarus dies. Well, maybe the hope is, is that he'll begin to show up. Maybe he'll show up for the funeral. He'll, you know, that's what a good preacher would do. He'd show up and do the funeral for a friend. No chance. He doesn't. By the time he arrives, Lazarus has been dead and entombed now for four days. Ah, but finally Jesus arrives on the scene, but it's too late. Martha marches out and gives him a piece of her mind and part of her broken heart of disappointment and tells Jesus exactly what she thinks. Here's what she says. She says, Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother, he would have lived. See, isn't it easy for us to kind of expect things from God, from Jesus Christ? We expect and we demand, and then if he doesn't do and get what we want, it's easy to blame him. When we don't feel like Jesus hears our prayers, shows up on time, Wow, during these grave times dealing with death or other problems or difficulties that we have, you know what? Those are the times that really reveal our faith in who God is and where our faith lies. So often we can interpret the presence of death as the absence of Christ. Yet here is the truth. The psalmist wrote this through the inspiration of God himself. The precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones. Where are we going with this? Where are we Death? Well, isn't that part of the narrative of Easter? Good Friday, Jesus dies. Today we celebrate the resurrection. See, Jesus didn't raise the dead only for those who were dead. He rose it for the people around there, for the sake of the living as well. Within this story in John chapter 11 of, 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 uh, of the story of Lazarus, we see the shortest verse in the Bible, and it simply says this, Jesus wept. He shows up on the scene, and this is what he says to them. He says, take me to Lazarus' tomb. I want to see where he's buried. And he gets there, and he arrives. And he's surrounded by many people, friends and family. And as he stands there, he could have said anything. He could have done anything, but what does he do? Well, two words. It said, Jesus wept. And this wasn't a manly kind of cry, you know, where you get the tear and the quivering chin and you quickly bring it back together. Uh, literally, it means he was sobbing. He was broken for the people that are there. He was broken. He was broken for his friend Lazarus, who's experiencing death. And as he's standing there, he, he, he regroups and regains his emotional equilibrium. And what does he do? He stands at the tomb and he simply says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I wonder what would happen if he didn't say Lazarus? What if he would have just said, hey, come forth? You know, probably all of the tombs in Jerusalem would have been emptied. I mean... <laughs> You know, talk about dawn of the living dead. I mean, that's the power that Jesus had, but he calls forth Lazarus. And then we see these five words. The dead man comes out. And can't you just see him? Because he would have been wrapped in burial clothes. I mean, he, kind of, he would have been like a mummy just kind of coming out. And then Jesus has to go unwrap him from the bondages of death. 
But Jesus whispers hope to all these grief-stricken people and friends. And he answers the question of all humanity that many people have. Is there life after death? What happens? And Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he looks at Martha and he squares up to her and he looks her right in the eye and says, do you believe this? And I want to say today, loved ones, I think Jesus would do the same thing to you. I'm the resurrection and the life. Even he who lives though he dies, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Because every one of us is going to face it. Do you believe? That's the question. The Bible says that Jesus holds the keys to life and death. So we see this Jesus who raised a boy for his mother, a daughter for a mother and a father and a family, calls forth the corpse of Lazarus. He is doing the ultimate in show and tell. He's given the perfect example of what his power is about. He's saying you can trust that when I die, when I have been crucified for your sins, as I said, I'm going to raise again on the third day. When you see it and you hear it, you can believe it. But here's the kicker that's really for us. After your death, after my death, we can be convinced because of all of these other proofs and happenings. that You know what? You and I, we get to experience resurrection. And Jesus is simply doing this because he loves and he has compassion for these people, but ultimately he wants these validating proofs to prove that he has the power of life and power over death. We don't like to talk about death, do we? I mean, it's pretty quiet right now. I mean, do this just for fun sometime. Invite your friends over. You know, serve them some coffee and, and dessert and just kind of casually bring up, hey, how about if we have a little discussion about death today? See what they do. See how that goes. It's not going to go very good. That's not, you know, that might be the last time you see them. Now, some children were asked to write some thoughts about what they believed about death. I love these kids are so smart. Stephanie, age 10, said this, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay their bill. <laughs> uh, Maria, age nine, said this, when you die, you won't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there. <laughs> and Raymond, age 10, says a good doctor can help you so you won't die. A, good, a bad doctor sends you to heaven. <laughs> or for most, whatever you believe, and most of us have thoughts about this, you know, whether you're atheist, agnostic, whatever your belief Somehow, most of us desire to know, what happens after I die? What takes place? It's obvious that we're going to spend a lot more time on that side than we are on this side. I mean, what do we get now? 50, 60, 70, 80, some of us 90, a few, 100 years. When you think in terms of eternity, loved ones, that's really not very, that's not very long. And here's the deal. There's probably, I'll say, probably 55, 60% of us in this room that are called baby boomer generation. Did you know that there's 70 million of us and most of us are now heading into that time where we start thinking, what is going to happen? What's, ha what's, the, what's the hereafter like? But see, people oftentimes, they really don't understand and they don't grasp what the Bible is blindingly clear about. And it's simply a primarily, it's a book. It's a love story of redemption where Jesus came for the purpose of performing the ultimate makeover for his marred creation, you and me. And we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read just a few verses from there because it is here, I would call this the biblical magnum opus of, of, of the resurrection, where Paul who has this incredible encounter and experience with Jesus, and he begins to write on the resurrection here in chapter 15. What's powerful about it is he's writing to, because the church has begun to be, become infused with some false teaching by this group called the Epicureans. Here was their basic thought. 
Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, and that's it. So get it while you can. Go for all the gusto. Live for the weekend. That would have been what they were basically a spouse in terms of a lifestyle. The problem was is that was beginning to infuse the church because they said there's no resurrection. They don't believe in that. So what happens? Paul is writing to say, listen, don't believe that. That's not the truth. I have preached to you. I have told you. Let me tell you again. And so here's what he says. The whole the whole. Chapter 15 really is kind of a, an apologetic on the resurrection, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but I want you to hear this. He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel was preached to you. What's the gospel? It's good news. It's what you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. It's the good news that saves you. You believe in that. If you are told the message that I preached to you unless you believed it in vain, and he says, for I passed on to you what is uh, 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 as most important. What he's saying is listen again because this is the most important thing I've said in your past and it's most important what I'm going to say again. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Don't forget that. That's the most important message you can hear and believe. And then he says this in verse 5. I love this. And then he appeared to Peter, and then to the 12. And then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Well, what's Paul really trying to establish here as he goes through this part and the rest of the chapter? First thing is he wants people to know that Jesus is alive, that the factual evidence for the risen Christ is compelling. And again, I'm not doing an apologetic this morning to try and prove that. You can look that up all you want. I mean, the, there is compelling evidence and books written about it. But here's the, here's the evidence that the body was gone, the tomb was empty. The grave clothes were undisturbed. Jesus was seen and the disciples were changed for their whole life. See, the resurrection has never been told as a metaphor. It's never been told as a tale. Once upon a time, a man rose from the... You don't see that. But it's always been communicated and told as factual and truthful. So many people saw him die. And then they saw him alive afterwards. The first Christians believed this so deeply that they were willing to give their life for the message and to die for the message. And many of them did. He's alive. He isn't dead. He's not some kind of religious superhero that passed by the way. He's not some great historical figure that we just kind of go, oh, wow, let's remember him. He's a living Savior. And hear me, loved ones, he's still alive and among us today. And he resides within our lives. Easter Sunday is not a memorial day where we kind of lift him up and think, oh, let's remember Jesus. It's not some kind of historical lesson that I want to give you to say, let's remember what he did. No, let's remember who he is, not then, but also today. And Jesus' death and resurrection bought your freedom. In the Bible, Colossians chapter 1 and uh, chapter 1 and 2 says this, that Christ bought our freedom with his blood to forgive all of our sins. How he has done that is he's canceled every record of the debt that we owed. And Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. That's what we celebrate. That's why Good Friday is a somber celebration because of what Jesus did. That word canceled there, it's like, that, it's like talking about a canceled check. After you pay a bill with a check and you let it go, how long do you think about it? I just paid bills Friday and I said, I, haven't, I, don't even, I can't even remember what I paid. Because it's done. I don't have to worry about that one anymore. You just forget it. And that's what he's trying to say. That that's what Jesus does for you. Your bill has been paid by Jesus' work on the cross. And the deal was sealed through the resurrection. You don't have to live with regret in your past. Because it's all been taken care of. That's the good news. He's forgiven us all of our sins. And some of you might go, well, what's sin? I mean, you know, <laughs> I haven't murdered anybody. You know, I walk a couple of grandmas across the street. I'm, I'm just a pretty good person. Well, the, the, term, the term sin is simply an archery term. Back in the day when this word was coined, it was like an archer. If he was, had a bow and an arrow and he was shooting it at a target, if the arrow fell short or if the arrow didn't hit the bullseye, that was sin. 
And it's the same thing for you and I. See, I don't really, you know, it doesn't matter how straight of a shooter you are in your life, you will always fall short. I mean, here's the deal. Most of us can't even live up to our own goals and ideals. How can we do that for a perfect God? But this perfect God says, you know what? I've taken care of that. It's not about your perfection. It's about the perfection of Jesus who came and took your place and died in your place so that you could experience forgiveness and eternal life as you make a decision to follow him. That's why he bled for us. Because it's that that covers and removes the stain of sin. Now, some of you maybe have seen the movie Hercules from a few, few years ago. Um, it, it's a fun movie if you don't mind uh, some significant blood and violence. Um, Trina and I have a kind of a yin and yang relationship where, you know, she loves to watch Hallmark. I come home from church and I say, you know, I just need kind of some murder and mayhem to balance my life out. So, so, so what we usually do is we'll watch a Hallmark so I can decompress and then we'll watch some kind of murder and mayhem just to kind of get back into real life, so to speak. Well, this is kind of like that. And if you're a guy, you're going to like the movie. It's a clever story that Hercules, uh, he's trying to create a myth with his life to incite fear in his enemies and faith in his loyal, faithful fighters and followers. But he's kind of a tragic hero because he's tormented uh, by his own inner demons and a tragic past life. And uh, but Hercules makes this decision that he resolves that he's going to fight for what's right, not just for money. Now, Hercules is supported by a great team of, of people, and, and they're in this, and there's this poignant, powerful scene where they're, they're in this battle. And Hercules gets cut by an enemy sword, and one of his guys comes, comes, comes up and he grabs his cape and he wraps around his back and he whispers in his ears, these powerful words. Never let them see you bleed. Can I tell you, that's the strategy of anyone who's trying to build their own myth, even as Hercules was. Don't ever let them see you bleed. Don't ever be open. Don't ever be vulnerable. But that's the literal opposite of who Jesus Christ was, and it reminds us about the true power that comes from Jesus' life at this time. It reminds us about his power, that Jesus wasn't afraid to show weakness. He wasn't afraid to bleed publicly. Actually, the Bible tells us that it was through his willingness to expose himself and become weak to the point of death on the cross that you and I can experience our greatest victory of new life in and through him. See, Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn the world. When he died on the cross, it wasn't to condemn. He said in John 3.18 that he didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. And that's what cancels out our past as we respond to him. That's why we can have such incredible celebration during this Easter. Because you can now be set free from the worry of your future. Are we a nation of worriers? talked about fears, but a lot, of our, a lot of our fears really cause us to be great worries. We worry about our bills. We worry about our problems. We worry about our health. We worry about our kids. We worry about our career. We worry about the weather. I mean, we just go on and on. Every time I pick up a newspaper or I read an article online, it's telling me about another food that I really like that I can't eat, you know? It's like just, it gets old after a while. I mean, I got high cholesterol, so I went and saw my doctor a while back. And he says, man, you got to keep cutting back on red meat. So I said, okay, I'll do that. I think I can do it. So I don't put, hot, I don't put uh, ketchup on my hamburgers anymore. And so I said, man, I hope, it, I hope that works and it goes down. I mean, you know what? You can't breathe. It's going to cause you a problem. You can't, you, know, you can't drink the water out of a plastic bottle anymore because it'll make you sick. I mean, it just goes on and on. But here's the deal, that Jesus gave his life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that death is defeated. And the proof there is life after life. We, we don't have to fear that anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all of those who have died. 
Jesus becomes the first fruits of all that have died. Well, what do you mean by that? How many of you have a garden? Some of us have gardens. Maybe you've got fruit trees out there. There comes during the season, you're waiting for them to ripen so you can begin to pick them and get them and you get to eat them. You take that first fruit and what do you do? You bite into it and you go, oh, this is so good. Well, here's why do you do that? Because it becomes the promise of many more fruit. If you have tomato, which is really the only thing that I've ever grown in my past, is you know that once that first tomato comes, man, you are going to have tomato after tomato after tomato, and you're going to have them at every meal and still give bags away. But that's the picture that Jesus says, because I've resurrected, everybody after me can experience that same resurrection. I love that. That's our great hope. And life will always look so much different when you know that with death, there is a comma, not a period. See, if you really believe that death is all there is, I wouldn't want everything, I wouldn't want everything to end. If you believe that death is all there is and you'll never see loved ones again, then it becomes kind of frightening. But when we begin to understand what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is about for you and for me and why it's important, we go, oh, wow, it's not the end. It's simply a transition. This is what, what the, uh, the writer of Hebrews said in 2, 14 and 15. He says, since the children have flesh and blood, talking about us, he, Jesus, shared in our humanity. He came in flesh and blood so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Ah, the devil. And he would come to free those, come to free all of those who live their lives and are held in slavery by their fear of death. How many people fear death? See, when you understand what Jesus has done, he says he came to destroy that. But if you don't know that, understand that and embrace it, you may still have that fear. This is therefore the central proclamation of the greatest victory over the greatest enemy by the noblest hero for the loftiest cause in all human history. And everything changed because of that one event on the first Easter Sunday. And hear me, loved ones, everything can change for you today because of that event 2,000 years ago. Christ set us free to live with purpose today, post-resurrection. I love this. Paul talks about all these hundreds and hundreds of people that Jesus appears to. But did you catch who the first one was? This Peter. Peter, Peter. You know what Peter is? Uh, Peter is a first class, number one, Dinkelfritz failure. <laughs> oh, no, it's true. Think about it. Every time he opened his mouth, he said something he would do, and then he didn't do it. Or he would say something that he would, uh, wouldn't do, and he ends up doing it. And he's a follower of Jesus. He's the one that betrayed Jesus uh, on the, with his words, not like Judas, but he betrayed Jesus. That if we all never deny you, what's he do? He denies him three times. He's the one that he's telling Jesus, you can't go to Jerusalem and die. And Jesus turns to him and says, you know, could you just be quiet, devil? Uh, you know, but, but, but here's the powerful thing. Peter becomes one of the major main players in the New Testament after Jesus dies and resurrects. And here's what Jesus, here's what's, I love Peter because besides Jesus, he's my favorite person in the Bible because I'm not like him per se, but I relate to him because I do things like he does. Open mouth, insert foot. Oh, I'll never do that. Oh, there we go. And what does Jesus do? Jesus appears to him first for one purpose because he wants to rehab him spiritually. And he says, I want to help you, Peter. You're, I'm not done with you. I died and I resurrected and I'm back here face to face, mano on mano, because I want you to know one thing. The purposes are still here. You're not done. Oh, yeah, yeah, you failed, but we're going to work through that. So many people have this desire to know what really matters in life. And it all starts ultimately with knowing Christ. It comes out in questions that we might have and communicate. Why am I here? Is there a purpose to my life? Does my life really matter? Is there a purpose to my life? Or am I just here to take up space, breathe a little bit of air, eat some food, and die? The good news, loved ones, there's purpose. 
Some people fill their lives with pleasure. Like the Epicureans live for today, eat, drink, and be merry, because you know what it all ends. Some people try and get prestige and power. They want to impress everybody. They think that's going to give their life meaning, but it seldom does. We're going to talk about that in 30 days to a no-regress life. What gives us meaning? Jesus comes and he inspires hope and purpose. This is what transformed Peter to become the guy that stands before thousands of people and preaches the first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This is what transformed the rest of the followers, that they become risk takers, God followers, and they took risks because there was nothing to lose anymore. They now know that, you know what, it's all about Jesus and I'm going to live or I'm going to die with that. They were all in because they experienced the love of God and the power of his resurrection changed their life. I don't play much poker anymore, but I used to when I was younger. This is what I know what poker players will do. And I love playing this way because one of my life models is bet big to win big. But one of the things you say in poker, I'm all in. And here's what that means. It means you push in everything you got. You're betting that you're going to win this hand, so you just say, I'm all in. You push it in. And what that means is you go, if you lose, you go home. (laughs) But if you push it all in, guess what? You win big. Where's your life? You got all your chips over here. What what, 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 What are you betting on for the resurrection? Are you betting that it's true? Are you betting that it's not? Or if you bet that it is, have you said, you know, God, I'm all in on this thing. And I want to tell you, friends, that there's going to come a time when everybody's going to make that call. Say, I'm all in. I believe. Or I'm believing and I have some doubts, but I'm still all in. I'm going to make sure that I get, figure this thing out. Because can I tell you something? You're going to go home either way or the other, in one way or the other. And for so many people, they live their life with this bet. And I want to remind you today, go all in because Jesus went all in for you. And he loves you. So here's the question that I want to conclude with. Are you all in? Have you pushed your chips in, spiritually speaking, to say, God, I'm going to follow you because I know that Good Friday was about you dying for my sins and I know that Easter is about the resurrection so that I know, just like you, I can have eternal life and I can spend eternity with you and those in my family that follow Jesus, I can be with them because that's the ultimate home. And I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me. you just bow your heads for a moment and in just a moment we're going to sing a song called come to the altar not many do it anymore but there used to be what they call an altar call would people come forward we're not going to do that but this would be an altar call where you get to make a decision Have you pushed the chips in for your life? Have you said yes to Jesus that you believe in his resurrection and his life that was given for you so you could have freedom to live and move and and then look forward to not death, but life after life? And if you've never done that today, it's very simple. Once you work through the pride or the doubt and all that, you just say in yourself, you just say, Lord, that's what I, I make that decision today. And in just a minute, I want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. Number one, that you would write on your connection slip and just say, you know what, I made this decision today to follow Christ. Or maybe you say, I I, I come back, man. man, Terry, I come back. And I rededicated my life today. And I want us to pray toward that. And then the second thing that I'm going to invite you to do is to get baptized. Don't have to. But ultimately, you need to make that step and that decision to be baptized. Uh, Yesterday, we had seven people get baptized, and uh, I think five of them were spontaneous. They just come out of the group, just like this. 
and they got baptized because they said, I'm going to push the chips in. I'm going to cross the line of faith and I'm going to get baptized. So, Father, we come. We thank you that you would have sent your son Jesus out of your great love to give him for us and that Jesus, the God's son, thank you that you came. And today, Lord, we pray that there would be people who would make a decision, Lord, to say today, now, Lord, I want to cross the line. I'm going to push in my spiritual chips and say I'm committed. I'm going to take that risk for some of us because of our doubts. But I want to know, I want to, I want to experience this thing called the resurrected life for eternity and ultimately go home, go all the way home to the living God. And if that would be you today, I just want you to simply say a prayer. You can use your own words. It just says, Jesus, I know I'm, I missed the mark. I'm a sinner. But you died for that. And there's things that I'd like to forget or things that I want to move away from. And today you can do that by just saying, Jesus, I make a decision to follow you. It's a process. It'll take time. You don't understand everything. But today to now, you say, Lord, I want to follow you. And I want to move toward experiencing resurrection, eternal life. So I encourage you to just say a little prayer. Jesus, I choose today to acknowledge my sin and to follow you. Amen. It's that quick. It's that simple. And then for some of you, you might want to take this next step where you get baptized today. We'd be privileged to do it. And I know some of you are saying, well... so thankful I didn't bring a change of clothes. Well, we got you covered. We uh, got sweats for you. We got a t-shirt. We got a towel. And we'll take care of you. So all you got to do is come and uh, just empty the stuff out of your pockets and we'll hold on to it for you. I'll, t- I'll hold your money. And, um, but you just come and, and we'll hold your stuff while you go in and get baptized because this is an incredible step that really it's, it's a picture of the resurrection because as you go into the water you're standing up and you're saying Jesus I'm committed to you today I want these people to know and I want heaven to know and then as you go into the water you're buried in the tomb like Jesus was and then as you come up it's a picture of being washed from your sins and you celebrate the goodness of God that you're cleansed and now you're going to walk in a new way and you're spiritually resurrected today and that's what that picture is so if that's you, we would encourage you to do that. We're going to start singing a song. It's called Come to the Altar. That can be your first altar, the tank of baptism. And so we're going to invite you to come. I'm going to go change, and I'd love to be able to baptize you today. And we've got some other people that are going to be baptized. So we don't have much time, so we've got to move through. I'll be right back. Jesus Christ. 
Pastor. And uh, we're so excited that you decided to worship with us today. And uh, we just wanted to um, remind you we've got continental breakfast available for you if you're hungry. Um, and uh, again, maybe you didn't quite want to get baptized today. Please come uh, find someone in one of the purple shirts. If, you're, if you'd like to talk to one of our pastors about it, we'd love to connect with you. Um, and we will get your information and get you connected. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed.